Good morning, Bayshore. Hey, I'm so glad we get to be together today. I am speaking at the Millsboro Campus Auditorium, and I've got RJ here, Cotter, and Nate and Jen, and my wife Karen. Karen came to hear me speak, so, but I'm speaking to all you guys. So glad that you are a part of this morning's service, and we just love you, and we're excited about what God has for our future here at Bayshore, and thank you for joining uh, us today. We are starting a new series today called The Waiting Game. The waiting game. So we're going to be talking about waiting. I don't know if you're like me, but I really, really don't like to wait. I don't like to wait, especially in the grocery store line. You know, uh, studies say that people, uh, the place they hate to wait, worst of all, is the grocery line, waiting at the grocery line. And you kind of always look at the, uh, the line and see what everybody has in front of you. And I don't know if you had that in your grocery store, that express lane, 12 items or less lane. And have you ever been counting those uh, lane, you know, people in that lane, how much they have in their basket or whatever? But we all have that issue. My my grocery store, food line that I go to, uh, they've recently changed the sign and it used to say 12 items or less. Now it says about 12 items or less. So that's strategic, I'm sure, because they've had somebody counting and they've been able to uh, kind of like, hey, there's a, an about and there's a little bit of flexibility. But I don't know where you hate to wait the most, but waiting is a part of life, and there's all kinds of things we have to wait for. We have to wait in red lights, you know. I don't know if you've ever been on Route 1. Route 1, if you uh, get into a turn lane and you wait for the light to turn green, if you've got two cars in front of you, basically the red lights in, uh, on Route 1 are designed to get a half a car through. So you got to, like, take off as soon as, as that light turns uh, green to get through because you don't have much time. But waiting is something we do. We wait in airports. We wait in restaurants. You know, I don't know if you've ever sat at a, a table waiting for your food to come and you're looking at your watch and it just takes so long. There's a, lots of things we have to wait for in life. Now, they say that uh, one of the places we wait the most is in the doctor's office. Now, I don't know if you've ever been at the doctor's office waiting. Um, they say that about 24 minutes is the average time that you have to wait when you're at the doctor's office. Now, it depends what particular doctor you're at. If you're a specialist, it takes longer. Uh, and here's this, if you go to the dermatologist, when I go to the dermatologist and I wait, uh, you know, I usually wait about two hours when I go to the dermatologist. I actually go into the dermatologist's office uh, in Salisbury where I go and I'm clean shaven when I go in and I've got a Duck Dynasty beard when I get done. I mean, it like takes forever to get through uh, the duck, uh, get through the, uh, the dermatologist uh, process there. But all kinds of things we wait for. But there's more serious things we have to wait for in life. Now, when you get a little older, uh, you know, young people today, you know, if you get, if you, something happens to you, you get injured or you have a medical procedure, you just heal just like that. Older people, you know, it takes her lo longer to heal. Like if you get a knee surgery or if you have an injury, it just takes a long time to get better. And maybe some of you have just recently gone through a medical procedure or you've gone through something where you've had an injury and you're just waiting week after week after week for that leg to heal or your back to heal or whatever. You know, uh, if you're a millennial, you can cut your arm off and a new one will grow back by the morning. It's amazing how fast you guys get better. But sometimes you're waiting to get better you know, you're waiting to get healed up, uh, that kind of thing. But maybe it's even something like this. You've been waiting to get married, and you're waiting for Mr. Right to come or Mrs. Amazing to come, and you just haven't seen that person show up yet, and you're just
just like, you know, when am I ever going to get married or when am I ever going to find the right person? Just a little, little bit of advice here. Better to want what you don't have than to have what you don't want. So maybe waiting is not the worst thing, but you know, there's a great story in the book of Genesis, Genesis 24, where Isaac was 40 years old, and I'm not going to say that you're going to be 40 before you get married, but Isaac was 40 years old, and uh, finally the Lord brought him Rebekah, and she was coming on a camel, and uh, he saw the camels coming. So maybe the camels are coming for you as well, but maybe that's something you've waited for, or maybe it's something like this. Maybe you've been struggling with an addiction, you've been praying and asking the Lord to help you, and you do pretty good and then you fall, you do pretty good and then you fall, and you're waiting for that moment where you really uh, are transformed and you're completely sanctified. You know, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which is my favorite verse of Scripture in the New Testament. I love a lot of verses in the New Testament, but my favorite life verse is, uh, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So if you're waiting to become more like Jesus, you're gonna get more like Jesus, more like Jesus, more like Jesus. It says in Proverbs, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, it shines brighter and brighter until the full day. So hang in there, you're being changed a little bit by a little bit. Well, I'm not sure what you struggle waiting for. I remember one time I was uh, coming home from Germany, I'd been on a mission trip, and uh, I was coming into Heathrow Airport in London, and we're flying, and I'm ready to get home to see Karen and the kids, and can't wait to get home, and I'm coming into uh, Heathrow, and the pilot comes on the intercom, and he says there's problems with the landing area, and we're going to have to be in a holding pattern for a while. And I remember, uh, you know, looking out the window of my uh, window seat there, and I saw about a dozen airplanes just kind of in a holding pattern. And I don't know if you've ever been on a holding pattern in life, and you're just waiting. Uh, Waiting is a hard, hard thing to do. But I think that God always has a purpose when we're in a waiting situation. Now, we're going to look in this series, we're going to look at some, uh, some people in the Bible that had to wait. And I was thinking about different characters in the Bible that had to wait, uh, and they were in a waiting game situation. And I thought, first of all, of Noah. Remember Noah? Noah, who was in the ark in the book of uh, Genesis. Uh, And I want to read to you just a little bit of Noah's story, and let's just get some principles to help us when we're waiting right now. Here's what uh, Genesis chapter 8, verses 6 through 19. After 40 days, Noah opened the window he made in the ark and sent out a raven and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So he returned to Noah and the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself. He waited seven more days and again sent the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there was a beak, uh, there was a beak uh, that there in his beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. Verse 12, he waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th of the second month of the the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons 
and their wives. You know, that's a great story. You know, you think about Noah. He's ready to get out of the ark, and he, he sends out these birds. He's trying to, you know, he sends a raven out to see if there's any land available. Then he sends the dove out, and the dove's flying around, and the dove comes back the first time with no mud on its feet, uh, no, no uh, olive leaf in its beak. And so he waits, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's so anxious to get out of the ark. And one of the things we need to think about is how long Noah was in the ark. And if I asked you how long Noah was in the ark, you know, a lot of people would say, hey, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. He was in the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, when you look at the text carefully, what we discover is that Noah was in the ark for about one year and 10 days. One year and 10 days. That's a long time. Now, how do I know that? Here's what it says. Uh, it says that he went into the ark on the 17th day of the second month of Noah's 600th year. And then he left the ark on the 27th day of the second month of Noah's 601st year. So he was in the ark for a year and 10 days. Now that is a long time to be with your wife and your kids and a bunch of smelly animals. That's a long time. And I don't know, I don't know what's in Noah's mind, but I think that probably he's thinking, I want to get off this ark. I want to get out of this. I'm ready for this to be over. I think we can relate to that in COVID-19. How many out there, you know, you would say right now, you're ready for this to be over. You're ready for this to end and get back to normal. I think Noah, when he was living in the ark, it was sort of an abnormal kind of life. And I don't know, you know, it's raining and he's floating in this boat. And I don't know if, you know, Noah and Mrs. Noah watched the Weather Channel. But if they're watching the Weather Channel, you know, Noah would turn the channel off and say, I can't believe it's raining again today. It's raining again today. Well, Noah was in that ark for a year and 10 days, and he was ready to get out. He was ready to get out of the ark. But this is, this is very interesting. Noah did not get out of the ark when the land was dry. He got out of the ark when God told him to get out of the ark. Isn't that interesting? You know, I would think that, you know, when we read the story, we would think as, as soon as it was clear, as soon as all the mud was gone, as soon as it was dry, Noah would feel, hey, I'm getting out of this ark. But notice how Noah is sensitive. He's sensitive to the, the Lord. He's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And he only goes out of that ark when it's the right time for him to go out of that ark. Now, I want you to know today that God has a perfect time for you for what you're waiting for. God has a perfect time for you for what you're waiting for. Maybe you're waiting for that job. You've been at the same job. You've been at the same position. You've been at the same, uh, same status of your company for a long time, and you're waiting for that next job. Let me tell you something. God has a perfect time for your next phase. God has a perfect time for your next phase. Now, here's something that I think that's true about, about uh, waiting, when we're waiting. I think when we're waiting, basically when we're waiting, there's something that we want, there's something that we want to do, there's some goal that we want to achieve, and there's an impediment, there's something that's stopping us from getting that. So basically, there's something that we want to happen that's not happening, that we wish would happen, and we just have to be patient until it finally happens. And so we're in a situation where we're waiting. Now here's something that I think is important for us to remember. Whenever we are frustrated with waiting, it's usually putting its finger on the control issue in our life. You know, if you're a person like me who likes to be in control, 
Now, somebody out there, I know I'm not the only one, but I know some of you out there right now, you know, you are controlling people. You like to be in control. You like to manage things. You like to make sure that you can call the shots about what you want to happen in your life. If you're that kind of person, waiting is very, very hard on you. And when you are highly frustrated, a lot of times it's an indication that you're a person who likes to be in control. You like to be in control and you want things to go the way you want things to go. Now, here's an interesting thing about the, the ark. And when I read this story, it begins in chapter 6 of Genesis, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9. But when you read the story about the ark, God told Noah how to build the ark. It's would be 450 uh, feet long, 75 feet high, I believe, and uh, it was a certain you know, width and all that. 75 feet wide, I believe, and 450 feet long, and then it was, uh, uh, the height was a little different. But when they built the ark, the, the, the description is given very clearly what kind of wood it was supposed to be made of. They're supposed to call, uh, coat it with tar and pitch. But you know, there's one thing missing in the story about building the ark. There's one item missing. Uh, it had a window for ventilation. It was a big, uh, big boat, but there was one thing it didn't have. The ark did not have a rudder. The ark did not have a rudder. Noah was in a boat without a captain's steering wheel. He was in an ark that was designed to float, but not to be guided. It was designed to float, but not to be guided. So you think about that. You know, if you look at the ark carefully, there was no rudder. And a rudder on a boat is basically in place so you can guide the ship where you want it to go. Noah was in a condition, he was in a situation that he could not control where the boat was going to go. Now, he floated around for five months, if you read the text carefully. He floated around five months before the ark finally landed on Mount Ararat. And he didn't know he was going to go to Mount Ararat. He didn't know where he was headed, but he was completely at the mercy of God. And that boat floated wherever uh, God wanted that boat to go. So God puts us sometimes in situations where we do not control where our destiny is going. We want to control certain things. We want certain things to happen. We want to marry this person. We want to get this job. We want this to happen. We want all these things to fall in line. We've got our little plan. But God puts us sometimes in a situation where something happens and we have no rudder. We have no rudder. We have no capacity to direct our life, and we just have to trust the Lord. And that's an important stage that we many times go through that we need to kind of get that. Listen, when we discover that we cannot control everything in life and we get to the point where we're okay with that, then we're taking a step toward maturity. When you are still living under the illusion that you can control all the aspects of your life, you're going to be incredibly frustrated. But it's when you come to the point where you recognize that my ark does not have a rudder. I have to depend on the Lord to take me where I want to go. I remember when I was a kid, I grew up in the country uh, in Seaford, not far from uh, where this uh, location is. And uh, I, was, I can relate to John Denver's song, Thank God I'm a Country Boy. So I just lived in the country. I lived uh, across the field from my grandmother and grandfather's farm. 
And when I grew up, a lot of times people would drop off stray dogs and stray cats around our neighborhood because it was in the country. If they didn't want the dog, they'd just drop it off. So we had all these dogs and all these, uh, these kittens and all the time. Uh, I remember one time we had this one dog that had these puppies. And I think she had seven or eight puppies, and she was a mixed breed. Uh, she wasn't the prettiest thing in the world, but we loved her. And I remember uh, one day the puppies were growing up and they were running around. I saw a cardboard box. I thought, hey, listen, here's, here's going to be fun. I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get this box and I'm going to put all the puppies into this box. So I began to chase those puppies around. And I'd get two or three in my arms. I'd run over to the box and I would set them in there and I'd go after the other five and I'd be running after them. I'd catch about three or four more and I'd turn around. About the time I turned around, the two of the puppies were climbing out of the box and they were running the opposite direction. Then I'd grab, you know, the puppies that I had, I'd put them in the box and I'd chase the two that just got out and I'd put them back. And by the time I got back to put them in, another uh, two had climbed out and gone the other way. And I just did that for like an hour, chasing those puppies, trying to get the puppies in the box. And let me just tell you something. After about an hour, I never got all seven or eight puppies in the box. There's always puppies that are out of your box. There's always things in life that you cannot control. It's only when you and I recognize that God sometimes puts us in a boat that has no rudder that we can begin to recognize that he is sovereign and he is in control. God never makes mistakes. God never makes errors. And when you recognize and when I recognize that I'm living under the sovereignty of God, that God is directing my boat, that God is directing my path, that God is directing when I get married, that God is directing when I get that new job, that God is directing when this happens or that happens, that God is sovereign in my life. When I recognize that, then I can begin to live in peace. And so Noah was in a situation. He was in a boat that he could not control. And some of you right now are in a situation. God has put you in a situation. God has put you in a situation where you cannot control your destiny. I just think that COVID-19 has been incredibly good for us that are following Jesus. I think it's been incredibly good for the church of the Lord because it's putting all of us as churches in a situation where there's certain things that we cannot control and we have to trust the Lord. And it's better to trust the Lord than trust in princes. And because you can trust in the Lord, you can know that he has your best interest in in mind. Can you say a big amen out there as you listen to this? So it's very, very important for you to remember that. Remember this, the ark was designed to float not to be guided. And sometimes God puts us in situations where we are, he's going he's to take care of us. He's going to keep us afloat, but we're not going to be able to control where we're headed because he's in charge of that particular aspect of our life. A very, very important principle that we need to remember that's the, that God is always in charge, that God is leading us and God is directing us and God is taking care of our future, that he's guiding where we are and he's taking care of our destiny and he is the one who's keeping us on track. The Lord is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think because he is taking care of you. Now, I remember, you know, this principle of of God taking care of you in a situation that you can't control is very important. Remember the ark. The ark, again, the ark is designed to float, not to be guided. So that means that God's going to take care of Noah, but Noah's not going to be able to dictate where the ark heads and what direction the ark goes. 
I remember when uh, I went to Israel a few years ago, uh, really had a wonderful trip. Uh, I know Bayshore's planning a trip uh, next year to Israel, and it was life-changing for me to go to Israel. I went to Israel with uh, Pastor Jack Hafer from Los Angeles, uh, California, and about 80 other people that I didn't know. And I went to uh, Israel, and I just had the best time. And I got to see the Sea of Galilee, got to see the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, got to see uh, the Garden Tomb, I got to see the beautiful uh, Mount of Olives and the, uh, the Valley of Kidron, the Kidron Valley, and got to look at the city of Jerusalem. Oh, I just loved to have the most incredible time. But I went there. I just really believed that I was going to hear the Lord speak to me when I was there because I was going to be in the Holy Land. And I just kind of went, prayed up. I went and wanted the Lord to really speak to me. So I remember, you know, early in the trip, we went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed. And so I'm literally in the garden with some of the olive trees where Jesus uh, prayed uh, the night he was betrayed. And I'm in that garden praying. I'm thought, surely the Lord's going to speak to me here. And I remember praying and seeking the Lord and asking the Lord to just uh, speak to me and guide me. And I just needed a word from him. And I had a wonderful time in the Garden of Gethsemane, but I didn't hear anything from the Lord. I didn't really hear him speak to me. I went to the Wailing Wall. The Wailing Wall is, is the part of the Herod's temple that's still original than when Herod built the temple, and you can stand at the Wailing Wall. And I stood there with a bunch of Hasidic Jews, and they're kind of rocking and praying and putting little things in the wall. So I was just like, I was rocking and praying with the Hasidic Jews, asking the Lord to speak to me, asking the Lord to give me a word, and I didn't hear anything from the Lord. I had a wonderful time there, and I asked the Lord for some things there, but I didn't hear the Lord speak to me. I went to the Garden of Gethsemane, Garden of Gethsemane, and then from there I went also to the, uh, got to go to the garden tomb where it looks like the tomb that maybe, we don't know if it's the very tomb that Jesus was buried in, but I went into that tomb and then I went to look at Golgotha. I could look at the hill in front of where Jesus was crucified and I was praying and the Lord didn't speak to me. So the trip's almost over, and we go down to Masada, um, down, by the Red, uh, the, down by the Dead Sea, and we're down there, and we're traveling around. And on the way back from Masada, we're rotting next to the Dead Sea, and we pull into this port, and there's a picture of this port we pull into. And this is a, like a resort area, and this is the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea is getting smaller every year because it's evaporating. And so we, we went to the Dead Sea, and, uh, and the host said, you can go swimming if you want to. So I went swimming, and I had always heard that the Dead Sea has so much salt, so much salinity in the water, that you can literally just float on the water, on the top of the water, without any effort at all. And you could, really, you could actually read a newspaper. I'd always heard that. So I decided to get into the Dead Sea, and I got in there, and I'm floating, and I'm under about 10, 12 feet of water there, and I'm effortlessly laying in the Dead Sea, and I'm not having to flap my hands, not having to kick my feet. I'm just laying there like I'm sitting on the, uh, laying on the couch. And I'm laying there uh, in the Dead Sea. And guy I met from Washington, D.C. took my picture. And I'm laying there just having a good time. And then I heard the Lord speak to me. And I've been asking the Lord to speak to me at the Garden of Gethsemane, at the Garden Tomb. And here I am at the beach at the Dead Sea. And I'm floating there in the Dead Sea. And I heard the Lord say this to me. He said to me, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. I just heard it as clear as, 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 as someone to say that to me out loud. In my heart, I heard the Lord say, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to keep you afloat. I'm going to keep you afloat. And I'm here to tell you that I've discovered that when you think about following Jesus, 
When you think about following Jesus, there are certain things in your life you can't control. There are certain things that happen that you can't manipulate. You can't make the boat go that way. You just have to let the sovereignty of God. You don't have a rudder. He's going to direct you where he wants you to go. And you can't control where you are going because the ark is designed not to be guided but to stay afloat. And the Lord's going to keep you afloat. He's going to take care of you. So remember that, you know, when you think about being in a situation, a waiting situation, when you're waiting for something to happen, you're waiting for something big to happen, you want something to happen and it's not happening, and there's certain things that are blocking those things that you want, there's certain uh, impediments in life that you can't seem to get out of the way, and you can't get to what you want to do, you can't guide yourself into what you want, you just have to stay afloat and let the Lord take care of you and let Him guide and direct you. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, though he fall, he will not be cast down. The Lord's guiding you right now. I want you to know this. I want everybody that's listening today, I want you to know that the situation you're in, you're in a situation that you can't control certain things. And you are, you know, God put Noah in a situation, put him in a boat that hadn't, didn't have a rudder, put him in a situation that he could control. And God has put some of you in a situation that you can't control. But he is directing where you're supposed to go and he's going to get you to the place you're going to go. And when you get to the place where you're supposed to be, uh, he's going to give you the green light to get off that boat. And he's going to give you what you've been waiting for. doesn't mean you're going to wait forever because there's some of you that are waiting for some things and you've been dreaming about it and those dreams are going to come last. Noah had thought night after night about getting off that ark and the time came when he got off the ark. The Bible says that although Noah could not control the ark, though he could not control the boat, he didn't have a rudder to, to guide the ship. That the Bible says that the, the, the Lord caused a wind to begin to blow on the waters and the waters began to recede. The, the Lord calls the wind to blow. And if you read the text carefully, it says the Lord calls the wind to blow and the wind began to recede the waters. So although Noah is not in charge, we see in the story God is in charge. God is working. And I wonder if Noah was in the ark and if he even knew the wind was blowing. Sometimes God's working on our behalf, and we don't even know he's working on our behalf. Sometimes there are certain things that God is doing in, on our behalf that we're not even conscious of. In fact, there's somebody listening to me right now that you just need to be reminded that although you can't see what God is doing, God is doing something right now to take care of you. He's working on your behalf. He's working on your behalf. So Noah uh, was in a situation where God was working, and then God finally spoke to Noah. There was a certain day, the 27th day of the second month of Noah's 601st year. There was a certain day. There was a day of destiny when Noah got off that ark. And so God was in charge of Noah's future. You know, you need to remember that God is with you. He cares about you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forsaken you. And you're in a situation and you're looking for the steering wheel, you're looking for the rudder, you're looking for the way to kind of guide yourself in the direction you want to go, and you just, the hard as you try, you cannot get that to happen. And that doesn't mean that you're off course. It just means that God is directing your course and you're not directing it. Very important thing to remember. You know, they did a study, interesting study, uh, and uh, actually the New York Times had this uh, 
this story and this study done a, a while back, and they, they had this thing where they, uh, they said that in the Houston airport, in the Houston airport, uh, they were having a lot of complaints about people waiting at the baggage claim. I mean, they were getting a cascade of complaints about people waiting at the uh, baggage claim. And so what they did was, the people, uh, the, executives, the executives of the Houston airport, is they hired more baggage handlers, and they tried to minimize the time that people had to wait. And they finally beat the, uh, uh, the, 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 the standards of all the other uh, airports, and they got it down to eight minutes, eight minutes, that people only had to wait for their bags eight minutes. And what they discovered was, was that people still complained as much as they did, even though they had lowered the time. And so they started to think about this. What they discovered was the average time that people walked from the airplane uh, to the baggage claim was one minute. So it took them one minute to get, once they got off the plane, to get the baggage claim. And then they had seven minutes to wait looking at the, uh, looking at the, uh, the, the baggage claim area. And so they were complaining as much as ever. So here's what they did. Interesting. They moved the, uh, the arrival gates further away. And it took people longer to walk to get to the baggage claim than it did before. It took them seven minutes. And a lot of times when they got there, the bags were already waiting for them. Same amount of time, but the complaints completely dropped off because people were occupied. And what uh, they've discovered in this study was people are okay to wait if they're occupied while they're waiting. Now, you want to think about what are you doing while you're waiting? Maybe you're waiting to get married. Maybe this is a time for you to occupy yourself by really becoming a godly single, working on your career, working on getting closer to Jesus, getting a smoker, occupy yourself, work on becoming the best Christian single person you can be. Maybe you're, you know, at a job you wish you weren't at, and uh, you're waiting for that big promotion. Hey, listen. Become the very best that you can be right where you are. Occupy yourself. It's when you're, you're, you're always thinking about what you want to happen that's not happening yet that you get frustrated. You know, what did Noah do for a year and 10, months, or 10 days in, in the ark? Well, he just, he just was faithful. He just took care of those smelly animals. He fed the elephants. He fed, he fed the hyenas. He fed the giraffes. He had a take a bucket way up to get those giraffes and he had to you know take care and he had to take care of his family he occupied himself he was faithful while he waited and it's important for all of us that we are faithful while we wait hey listen waiting waiting means that God is sovereign God is sovereign over our life God is too good to be unkind he's too wise to make a mistake we may not ever be able to trace his hand, but we can always trust his heart. That's what Charles Spurgeon said. And God is in charge of your life. He's taking care of you. I want to pray with you right now. I want, I want to pray with you that uh, you are, you've been waiting. You've been in a holding pattern, and you've been frustrated. Hey, listen, you're in a situation that you don't have a rudder, but God is in control. You don't have a rudder, but God's causing the wind to blow, and he's directing your life where it's supposed to go. And you are to celebrate his sovereignty in your life. Let's pray together right now. Lord, thank you right now for blessing us with peace. Lord, even during COVID-19, when there's things that we can't control, you're in control. You're in control. You are sovereign. You are Lord. 
You are upon your throne. Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And Lord, you're high and lifted up. You're on a throne. You're the ruler of the universe. So we as your children, we are under your sovereignty. And we are in this situation we're in because you're in charge. And we ask you to bless everyone that's waiting for something. Those that are weary for waiting, help them to get their eyes on you today. Because we know that your word says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We love you. We bless you today. We thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.